How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by, and we will be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with questions, comments, concerns, or ideas. Yesterday was the first day of spring. Mr. Kelly, did you do anything to celebrate the first day of spring? No. What? I was working from home, which was extremely frustrating. Oh. You know, when you're trying to work with technology, it's never fun. Right. Uh, and so I did not. But uh, hopefully today, I did go out for a walk and uh, fed the birds. You right. know, the usual type of thing, but uh, nothing special. Ah. Yeah. Yes. Kind of missed it. So this weekend, maybe you'll be able to do out a little bit. I did uh, till again our expanded garden. I got out there the other day, and I got that all tilled up for a second time. Right. And uh, so now we're just ready to... Go to work as soon as it warms up again. Perfect. Things are starting to bloom. Sounds great. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, it really is. So yeah. spring I would, is here. I would think with the rain we had, and you're the expert, but I would think <laughs> with the rain we had <laughs> that it's going to get green here real quick. Yeah, rain will help, but temperature yeah. is more important. Okay, see? That's why you're here. <laughs> Straighten me out. Uh, well, thanks. You bet. Saturday mornings we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your landscape, whether it's your backyard, front yard, side yard, whether your yard is really, I was in a, at a yard this past week on Wednesday and it was in Oakville, South, you know, South County. And it was, it had rained earlier in that morning. So their backyard was absolutely flooded. Part of it had like six or eight inches of water. And it was part of it was, you know, a natural circumstance, but part of it was because a neighbor had built a fence and the fence was put in too low. It was a solid fence, and it turned into a dam. So, I mean, there's just some really nutty things going on out there. How about your specialty garden space? The taste of the tropics. Almost time to get those house plants in the outdoors. Not quite yet, though, because we don't know. Frost-free day is going to be April 15th, whatever that means. In theory, there's not supposed to be any temperatures below 32 you know, after April 15th, but who knows the way things are so nutty. Shearing and pruning on your plant materials, removal of uh, bugs and diseases, using information to make good decisions. My thoughts will help orchestrate, hopefully, those good decisions on your part, and a final judgment for action you're going to take is going to be up to you. By the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your car, your home, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player is Alex. He has been gone for a couple of weeks, but uh, we welcome him back. And uh, today, I'm 
I think I'm still Mike Miller. Yeah, I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994 during the week, and today I have a couple in North City and then also in Lafayette Square Walk and Talks, which are landscape consultations. I come to your home and take a look, and we can talk about whatever is, you know, impacting you from your perspective, and then I take a look at what might be impacting and what can make a difference. So you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, homepage. That has my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Well, let's get moving. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Every four times a year, as the season changes, as we just, uh, as I said, I was talking to Brian, yesterday was the first day of spring, so I take a walk around, a Good Gardening Stroll around my yard. And uh, with a sigh, a relief, that's R-E-L-E-A-F, relief, relief. Our landscape was awakening from winter's hibernation. On the west side, which faces Christie Park, the zoysia grass was yawning and stretching and starting to get a little bit green. I have two big pots of spring bulbs, daffodils and tulips, that I get from Brightside St. Louis. And uh, they're sitting on the sides, one on each side of a bench on a patio that we have that overlooks the park. On the south side, which is a narrow strip between Pam's house and ours, the gold moss really is starting to take off as well, which is a type of sedum, and the autumn joy sedum. The lily of the valley is still really sleepy. It's not showing any kind of signs at all. There's a few crocus around the front of the house and uh, making a lively showing. As we turn to the north, uh, daffodil foliage, yes, looks good, but no bulbs or no buds or anything on that foliage yet. Uh, my evergreen fern, which is near the front door, it took a real beating this year from all the leaves that kept piling up. I'd go out there and take them off, and then just the weight of the leaves plus the rain has bent some of the fronds, but uh, it's pretty tough, so it'll recover. So underneath the uh, evergreens that I have there in the front of the house, I have an hanoki cypress, a uh, boxwood, gold moss underneath those, and at the front door, front walkway, I have metal artwork and uh, multiple pots of spring bulbs, which are really taking off, and a sorora cypress there as well. And that greets all the passerbys. Um, underneath my mugo pine and my other boxwood on the other side of the sidewalk, uh, palace purple coral bells really starting to show some color. Gold moss, which I use for a ground cover basically all the way around the house in the strip between the sidewalk and street, except for one area which I've converted to the bird feeding station. So what I did is I tried for several years to get some zoysia to grow there, and it just it was really frustrating. So I finally gave up, and what I've done is I just throw bird seed down in that area in the lawn and let the birds go at it. So the chickadees and uh, cardinals and doves really like it, and then unfortunately— no, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't be such a prejudicial person. But the starlings come down, too, and really go for it, too. But that's just the way it goes. So you feed the birds, whoever comes, that's how it is. In our kitchen window, we have pansies in pots and a window box with daffodils. And they're budded probably within the next couple of days. They will be flowering. Back door, a, tree of, a trio of gazing balls and a pot of tulips. Along the sidewalk, again, as I said before, uh, the gold moss, or sedum acre, A-C-R-E, if you're wondering what that is. 
And it's just the front of the garage. I have several large pots of tulips and daffodil combinations. Again, those are the ones that I get from Brightside St. Louis. And to be honest with you, I throw my bulbs away every year. As when they finish blooming, I don't try to keep them or anything else, so I just buy fresh ones each year. Maybe that's bad. I don't throw them away. I put them in the compost bins. And uh, on the back side of my garage, which is on the alley side, black-eyed Susans are really showing some growth. The purple coneflower as well and the lemon verbena, all showing good foliage. So overall, I say spring is here, and so do the robins. I can't believe the amount of robins that are bouncing around in everybody's yard in the neighborhood. It's really kind of nice to see. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns? We're going to start off, and we're going to talk with Kay. How are you today? Hi, Mike Miller. Um, I have some Globe Arborvitae, Mm -hmm. and they're looking pretty rough. Um, They're kind of yellowish, brownish. Um, They're a couple years old. They've been doing quite well, but uh, this winter they really got beat up. I'm, I need a little suggestion as to how long I should wait to see if they rebound. And if they don't rebound, any ideas about another type of shrub? Uh, basically, you don't want to put Globarborvitae back in. Is that what you're saying? Uh, probably not. Although, if you know, if you tell me they're really a good thing and I'm just not such a hot gardener, I'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, w- did you plant them yourself, or was it, or were they planted professionally? Oh no, I, it was an amateur job. I okay. did it. So, in other words, hopefully, when you dug the hole for each individual one. You dug the hole three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about 80% is deep. Because one of the problems with most conifers, which you know, arborvitae are, conifer meaning they have cones. Their cones are a little bit brown things. But if there's any kind of low spot where the stems you know, or the trunk goes into the ground and water sits there, that could be the major problem. Also, okay. the soil pH could be a problem, too. So uh, when you're, you should probably maybe think about getting some... Iron sulfate and putting that on the ground, pull mulch back, then put the iron sulfate and then put the mulch back. Okay. And uh, then just kind of keep your fingers crossed, wait for a year or so. But uh, the brownness, you know, is always going to be brown until the new growth kind of hides it. So from a cosmetic standpoint, you may be looking at something that you don't necessarily like, you know, all that much. Now, as far as another type of, how about... Let me say this. Why did you pick these particular ones? Uh, because I have um, some emerald arborvitae, okay. um, and they have done extremely well. And these were across the driveway, and I thought, oh, well, you know, we'll have some green on the one side of the driveway and then some green in a different shape on the other side of the driveway. Right. You know, my attempt at uh, artistry there. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds very artistic to me. But I didn't know if it was size-wise or what exactly it was because there's not really too many different kinds of shrubs that take no pruning whatsoever that stay relatively small. So okay. that's you know that's kind of the the advantage. I do have of the a small yard, so that's a consideration. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I'm just going to check into the iron sulfate and keep an eye on them, and uh, we'll go from there. Thank you very much, Mike. Certainly, my pleasure. 
Bye-bye. And now let's go to Crestwood and see what's going on with Pat. Hi, Pat. Hi, Mike. Uh, It's that time of the year again when we start our pre-emergent on our lawns. And with the weather the way it is right now, it seems that we have one day of rain, one day dry, one day rain, dry. So I considered putting my pre-emergent out today, but I know it might rain overnight and tomorrow with a little bit of snow. Then Monday it's supposed to be dry again and on through the week. So temperature-wise, is it better to wait a little bit longer since I am seeing some of the forsythia blooming? Yeah, I would say get it down because generally, depending upon what type you're using, you have, it should be watered in anyway because that starts the, let's say, the uh, uh, moisturizing process, which spreads the, actually the pre-emergent you know, across the so, you know, soil surface. So it you know it creates a chemical barrier, so it kills you know the seeds of the weeds that are germinating. So I would say just go ahead and put it down. Okay, well that's what I was looking for. So I certainly appreciate it. Well, Thank my, you very much. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, if you wait too long, then it's just you're wasting your time. In theory, they say you can put pre-emergent down all the way up until mid-April. But if generally in our region, if you wait till mid-April, probably most of the annual weeds that are going to germinate, the warm season weeds, and some of the perennial weeds too, they're coming up from seed. It's too late. They're already germinated, and then the pre-emergent doesn't do anything at all. Okay. Well, my concern was, gee, if it gets cold and we have snow, even if it's not a lot, is that going to bother it? No, it won't bother it. It may slow the process of the seeds germinating a little bit. But uh, the ground temperature is you know, warm enough that actually, the, like you said, forsythia is in flower. So the ground temperature, even if we have a little bit of snow, it's not going to change the ground temperature. Okay, that sounds great. Thank you very much. Certainly. And now let's go to Patrick's yard. Hi, Patrick. Hello, Mr. Mike. How are you this morning, sir? Very good. Good. Hey, um, I think I know, I have two questions, and I think I know the answer to the first one, but I just want some confirmation. I had a patio uh, dug up and poured. I had a bobcat running back and forth on the side of my house, so I know the soil's compacted. Right. I've got to uh, till it up, but when I till it up, do I want to throw some type of, like, uh, go to St. Louis mulch or compost and get some mulch and till it into it before I put my sod down? No, you don't want to till in mulch. What you want to till in is, like, a topsoil compost mixture into your existing soil. Oh. All right. Um, I will do that. Um, second of all, um, when should I start feeding my azaleas? Uh, as soon as you, you know, probably you can actually start right now. It wouldn't hurt at all. But just make sure you get, a, you know, an acid-based fertilizer, which is going to have the iron and the sulfur and everything else. Don't just use sort of generic type fertilizers. No, I, ha- I have actually an azalea fertilizer. Oh, perfect. Right. Um, and I lied. I have one more if I could. Um <laughs> I'm going to be planting some bushes in the front of my house. After I till up the soil that I'm going to put them in and dig my hole and stuff, should I put down a um, a weed barrier type mat type stuff? That's strictly a personal choice. You know, they're fairly effective for the most part, but the weed barrier basically, if you've got a lot of existing, let's say, perennial weeds in the bed where you're going to be doing the planting, it prevents, it kills things that are underneath it. But it does not prevent, let's say, any kind of weed seeds that might blow in from just sort of germinating anyway. And it can the weed seeds that are landing on top of the mat can just penetrate right through the mat and get themselves rooted. 
So mats are great, but they basically are preventative for existing perennial type weeds that are, you know, still in place. And if whatever blows in, what? How do I fight those? Just by a, a spray type Roundup or something? Yeah, you can spray that, or you can put like there's a product called Preen, which is a pre-emergent, and you, you okay. know for the annual weeds, you can do that. So. It, you know, it will help somewhat, but it's not gonna, It's not a magic formula that's going to make it so you never have to do any kind of weeding whatsoever. It's going to reduce it a little bit initially for sure, but beyond that, it's you're just going to have to watch for, you know, pretty much every year. Man, I think I'm just going to move to a condo. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I appreciate your show, man. I really do. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on your show, as you know. Uh, okay, take care, sir. Yeah. But, you know, I'll give you a good example. Uh, around my house, you know, I wanted to have a walkway. So when we moved, you know, from Soulard down to the South City X amount of years ago, I put a, a basically a walkway around the house. It's got a steel edger, then a landscape fabric was put down, and then I have rock. So I can get around to all the windows, I can get to the faucets, I can get to pretty much everything. But I still... With that, I don't have, you know, I mean, there wouldn't be any weeds coming up, you know, from underneath this long, you know, this long ago. But I still have things like chickweed and other things, which are annual type, cool season or warm season weeds that, uh, you know, the seeds blow in and then they just, you know, they root right down through the rock through the, and penetrate through the uh, landscape fabric. And so, I mean, I'm sort of like testifying that this is really what, you know, I've had happen with me, and I just understand that that's what it is. I don't put, you know, I personally, I don't put, you know, preen on my, let's say, rock edge bed or steel edge rock bed that goes around the house. I just kind of want to see, you know, I like to watch and see what kind of weed seeds are germinating. And it just kind of gives me some of my, some idea of if somebody calls in, this is what they're probably experiencing. This is what I'm experiencing. So that's why I kind of left it as is. Let's see if we can get to... Hi, Barbara. How are you today? Well, my two questions. I have about 40 burning bushes that are about better than 12 years old. Can I cut about five inches off the top of them now? Uh, yes. It's doing no harm. Yeah, get it okay. uh, done as soon as possible. It's better to do it yes. before the new foliage starts coming out. Yes. And my I've got about four big spider plants and have some scale on them. Is there any way to treat the plant as a whole, or do I have to try to find each one independently um, with the soap and water? We're talking about the house plants. Yes. Yeah. The spider plants. Yeah. How many? How many of the actual blades do you have the scale on, or is it on uh, the like, let's say the spiders that are hanging? Uh, both. Ooh. Both. Is there any way to save them? Um, yeah, I mean, I would go to your favorite garden center and tell them that you want a summer weight horticultural oil. And when you okay. put them outside, just use, you know, spray the oil and the oil will should suffocate them. Okay, gotcha. All right, thank you. Yeah, and you have to use that because, I mean, some of the other, you know, organic type insecticides can't penetrate that shell that's actually the scale uses to protect itself. So what the horticultural oil will do is uh, suffocate. So that's what will happen. Thank you, Mike. Certainly. And now let's head over to Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Hi, Mike. How are you today? Very good. Uh, I'm sorry that you got a zoysia-free zone, first of all. (laughs) And then 
the horticultural oil is it too late with my apples are starting to barely bud out my apple tree yeah is it too is it too late to put that on generally it could cause some damage so okay. the dormant oil should have been put on put on like kind of around Valentine's Day before okay. any kind of new growth erupted at all it could cause some real problems I'm not saying it's going to but it has a potential okay. to so I would say don't well, the deer have trimmed the edges of the <laughs> buds anyway. And, and then the second thing I have, I have some strawberries that will be coming next week probably. Should I try to mud them out or should I just heal them till it kind of settles down? I would say go ahead and plant them. Okay. Because, I mean, they're they're tough. They're not going to ship them, you know, in theory, I'm you know. Before you should be able to, are they bare root? Is that what they yeah, are? Yeah, they're bare root. Yeah, I would say I would get them in the ground as soon as possible. Okay. And then my last question is we had a burning bush about five years ago that was really mature and then all of a sudden it died out. And we're reluctant to uh, put a burning bush back there because uh, we're not sure what killed it, but it was like a scale and then all of a sudden it turned real weird, and the new growth was like somebody put fire on it. So do you think that's been long enough to plant something there or not? Yeah, usually the burning bush don't won't get fire blight, so I'm kind of surprised that it did get that, if that's what you had. But yeah. it should, you know, I mean, it should be safe enough. I wouldn't necessarily try to plant it right over the spot where it was, just from yeah. the standpoint there's wood from the root system still there, even if it's been a couple years. Move it over a little bit, but it should. If you've had it and it lasted for a long time, was very mature. It could have been just age as much as anything. Okay, that's scary. <laughs> Maybe age for it. <laughs> Thank you. Certainly, my pleasure. If anybody else has any questions, three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. We've got plenty of lines open. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head out to Crestwood and go into Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hello. Hi. I have a um, indoor bamboo plant. It is in like about an inch and a half pot. How do you transplant those? What are they like? Um, you mean as far as potting mix goes? Yeah, I want I want to transplant it. I think it's probably too small. Uh, if it looks healthy, you don't have to you know transplant. It looks it. healthy, yeah. So you could just leave it where it is if you want to. But if you're going to put it into a larger pot, it, you only want the pot to be one to two inches bigger than the one that it's currently in. Okay, because it's got some foam rubber in it. Really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how it's even doing. I don't know. I got it as a gift, so I didn't know how long it would live. But I got it in my window, and it seems to be doing okay. So Yeah, just make sure that you get potting mix in, instead of potting okay. soil because it has to be really well drained. And when you put it into the new pot, you want to make sure that it's planted basically at the same level as it is. So if you've got foam rubber or whatever it is in there, uh, it seems really kind <laughs> of strange. It's black, and it's... It's spongy. It's like a sponge. (laughs) 
But uh, you know, don't, don't shake too much of that stuff off. Just you know, just pull it out of the pot and then put it in the new pot and plant it at the same level it is currently in the new in the pot. So itself. they'll grow in dirt, correct? They should. Okay. And, and, and then the next real. question I have is: we have a Japanese black pine, and the and the and the spikes got all brown. So there is some green. Do you think that's going to make it back? Uh, if the interior needles are brownish, then that should not be a problem. If the tips are still green, then that's a good sign. So it might just be the older needles are, you know, it's time for them because of age. They're just being dropped off. But the whole plant was brown. Ooh. You know, do you, I'm, my question is, do, you, do they do all well in St. Louis? Uh, they don't do all that well. They don't like okay. St. Louis that much. They, is it the cold they don't like? Well, they don't like our fluctuations. They don't like okay, the fact that it was 80 degrees a couple days ago, and then right. it's going to be down to freezing in a couple days. Okay. Nothing I could put on them, I guess, a fertilizer. No, that's just... if the needles are brown, it's dead. Okay. Thank you so much. Certainly. My pleasure. And now let's go to Tim's yard, and Tim lives in South County. Hi, Tim. Hi, Mike. Um, we've got a little plot of 10 by 10 that you grew, my wife grows flowers in, and uh, we've got some burning bushes on the side of it, and it's only about four feet from a plum tree that's only about 25 feet tall, and we like to transplant the burning bushes, and there's also some Euronymous bushes, and we're thinking that's the same, same distance from the plum tree, and they're about four feet tall. I don't know if you can transplant anything like that, because my neighbor put up a six-foot solid fence. And the purpose for these things, they need to be, they could be moved now since they don't do what they used to do. Uh, what do you think about that? So you planted them for a screening and now you don't need the screening. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. How big are they, you know, the actual shrubs? How big are the burning bush height wise? They're about uh, as tall as a railing on my patio. I'd say about three feet three that should be a size that's adequate to actually move but if you're going to move them you should get it done as soon as possible get the location ready so when you dig them up you can take them and put them into the brand new location into the hole immediately yes and then one more question about planting a tree near a spot where there used to be a maple tree uh how far away from that uh spot where the maple tree used to be, where, where would you put another tree? Uh, how long uh, ago was a tree taken on the maple tree taken out? Just last year. Ooh. It I, died slowly, though. Yeah, that, that doesn't matter. The root system, you know, there's a lot of wood underneath the ground. So what I would probably do is take a shovel out there and just continue to probe around. Start about six or eight or ten feet away from where the original trunk was and then just see if you can find a spot that you can find a where you can dig a hole and you're not going to hit a bunch of underground roots. Yes, okay. Thank you very much. Certainly, my pleasure. Yeah, the, anything that you're going to transplant, just make sure that you water it the day before unless, it, well, obviously it rains, and then get as much of the root ball as you possibly can. Go down at least one spade deep if the shrubs are three feet. So you're talking about something that's not going to be really light or real easy to do. So it's going to be... Quite a bit of work. And let's go and see what's going on with Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Good morning, Mike. Hi. I was uh, listening to your program, which I do every Saturday, and the person who was calling about the pre-emergent. Mm-hmm. I usually have somebody else take care of my yard, but I um, 
need to do it this year, and and it sounds like I need to get pre-emergent in right now. Is this application simply a spread it on the top, or or do I have to do something more than just fling it around or 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 move it? Uh, Drop it well, in you, places. Yeah, you want to basically get it so you get a kind of even coverage. So okay. To just kind of take handfuls and throw it, I don't think that's going to work. So I need to use one of those little machines yeah, or, or push things or like a cedar, a seed spreader. Right, exactly. Okay. And then um, do I water after it or do I just let the coming rain and maybe snow do that for me? Well, if, it's, if you're, you know, sure that you're going to get the rain, then you should be fine. But, uh, you know, get it down as soon as you possibly can. And to make sure that it starts, you know, gets down off the grass blades and everything else, I would just go ahead and give it a quick watering if you can. I can do that. Thanks so much, Mike. I appreciate our show. All right. Thank you. Mm, Bye. And now let's see what's going on with Linda. Hi, Linda. Hi, Mike. Um, I don't know if you maybe suggested this in the first half hour. I didn't get to listen until about 830. But. I know a lot of the kids are off school, and I know my little grandkids are just as bored as can be. And I suggest that maybe people get, you know, pots and potting soil and plant, have the kids plant some seeds and just kind of watch, you know, that things come up, and they might enjoy that. I know gardening, just gardening in general, is is a, something that brings peace and tranquility to me. And I <laughs> I hope this rain stops so we can all get out and you know, enjoy our garden since we can be outside, you know, with this virus going on. But I just had that as a suggestion for maybe the kids to give them something fun to do. Absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, and it's really kind of neat, you know, as kids just to watch something that you've never had an experience. And the kids of today have, I mean, they're very tech-oriented, which is great. That's fine. They're going to be, you know, running the entire world in, let's say, 10 or 15 or 20 years. But uh, to get them to kind of experience the outdoors, I think, is really crucially important. Right. I've had great success even at our library community garden with dollar store seeds like marigolds, right. cosmos, things like that. So I don't know if they can't, you know, get to a big store to get the seeds they might run into a dollar store i don't know if nurseries are even you know i guess nurseries are open but yes, they are anyway that was just a suggestion i thought maybe it would be fun for the kids and adults too just something to do completely <laughs> i completely agree. boredom yep well yeah. thanks linda okay stay well and safe and to all our listeners too for our garden show yes thank you mike for being on the air <laughs> Yes, folks, uh, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. And when you call, just give uh, Alex your name and where you're calling from. That'll be all he needs to know. And let's head over to John's yard. Hi, John. Hello, uh, I'm calling from St. Anne. Uh, I had a question about compost uh, being added to a vegetable garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would be a recommended uh, amount, uh, say four or five inches to till in, and what would be the best time of the year to do that? Uh, you could do it now if you want to, because you're probably, if you're talking about growing vegetables that are warm season, tomatoes and all that other stuff, you yeah. just get the ground prepared. But don't put, you know, like four or five inches on it all at once. 
What you want to do is if this is an area, first of all, control any kind of weeds or anything that you know potentially is there. Then just put two inches, rototill the, the existing soil, then put about two inches of compost, then rototill that, then two more inches of compost. So you're really creating a nice, good blend, and that's what's important. If you put too much you know, depth at once, it's not going to create the blend that's probably going to be to the advantage of the plant material that you're going to be growing. It's hard to t- get it tilled in, I guess. Then. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you very much. Yep. Good luck with right. that. And yep. now let's go to Tracy's yard. Hi, Tracy. How are you? Hi. Good. Um, I'm calling from Chesterfield, and I have a question. Um, I have about four magnolias in my yard. A couple of them are star magnolias, and a couple are magnolia janes. And last summer, I had noticed on one of them um, – that I was noticing a lot of bees and um, wasps and stuff hanging around. And as I got closer, I noticed that the bark had turned black. So I had bought some stuff over the um, from the nursery and started spraying it. Um, and little by little, I noticed that I started noticing that on all of my magnolias throughout my yard. And I sprayed every month, but I never really noticed an increase on it, um, an increase of anything changing. And then right now, the bark on those trees are black. So is there anything I can do? I notice they are starting to bud out a little bit, but I don't know if there's anything else I can do to try to help those trees. You know, fungus on the bark is not really problematic. Probably the reason why you had some, let's say, bees or wasps hanging around, you may have had a broken branch or there may have been some sap leaking or something like that. That's what they were going after. But the blackness on the bark, I wouldn't be overly concerned with. Okay, there's also like these little bumps on the bark, like um, you can kind of just pick them off, and they're like hard little bumps all throughout the tree on the bark. Uh, take a couple of those bumps and to your favorite garden center and find out if you have a type of scale, you know, on them, okay. and that might be what it, that could be. Because when scale feeds it, they also, when they go to the bathroom afterwards, it's like something that bees and wasps can collect that way too. Okay, because the leaves of the bark also kind of turned a blackish color. So do you think that, I'm, I'm thinking maybe it is a scale. If it is a scale, is, there, it, can, is it all right to start spraying for them now? or? Well, again, you, you should have sprayed earlier, like a gentleman called about the dormant oil, because once things start, you know, the buds start opening and stuff like that, you, the dormant oil sprays, you can use a summer weight horticultural oil, if you're gonna, if you want to do that, don't use a regular dormant oil because the plants are not dormant anymore. So okay, summer weight so horticultural summer. oil, spray it right on to the, you know, to the actual scale that you're seeing. Okay, and then if that doesn't take care of it, use the dormant oil maybe over the fall in the fall or the winter. Yeah, the February. winter. So in other words, when the foliage falls off, sometime around Valentine's Day, you want to reg- you know, spray it with a regular dormant oil. Now, also check with the dormant oil on the label and find out if they, because, I mean, magnolia buds are sitting there even though they're not starting to open. So sometimes it shouldn't be a problem, but just to make sure that it won't be a problem for your magnolia buds if you spray the dormant oil. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. That's very helpful. Certainly. My pleasure. And now let's see what's going on with Judy. Hi, Judy. Hi, Judy. Hi there. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, good. I bought pre-emergent in the fall. Well, I had good intentions, but it didn't get on the ground. So I'm wondering, can I use that same emergent to put it out now? 
Yes, you should. And also okay, to so buy spring, it. spring and fall are the same emergent. Doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. But not fall. You want to put it down in August. August. Okay. Late August. Well, I early probably September. bought it in August, and it just never got. Well, I did. Anyway, and can I put it in that little red hand thing that I put the fertilizer sure. out with? Right. Is that okay? Perfect. Thank you so much. <laughs> I just might do that right now. <laughs> yeah, it's a perfect day. <laughs> Thank you. My pleasure. And now let's go to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mary. Hi, uh, I'm Mary in Belleville, and I have zoysia grass on a terrace hill in the front of my yard. And the last couple of years, it's been looking terrible. And it looks like there's other weeds and things that have taken over and killed it. I thought the zoysia would live forever, uh, but it's not. So what do you suggest? Basically get the weeds under control. But no, zoysia doesn't, doesn't go on and on and on forever. And first, and another question too, have you been fertilizing it? Yes. Okay, so that's good. But how about dethatching or raking it with a, you know, to make I, sure? I did that twice last fall. I did it early in the fall because there's a lot of leaves in the area, leaves and sticker ball and gumballs. Right. Well, that's, you uh, know, basically, I guess, you know, your zoysia just got old. So, yes. you know, after a period of time, you can just get some plugs and start replugging it. But I get the weeds under control first. Okay. If I get rid of the weeds, I'll have nothing. I'll just have dirt <laughs> on this hill. And it's going to wash away with the rain. Well, basically, then just leave the weeds and start getting some plugs or pieces of sod and just sort of randomly scatter them all over the place. Okay. Can you buy zoysia sod squares? Uh, I don't think they're going to be available yet. Okay. But they do, the nurseries do sell them. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, just like a regular piece of sod. Okay. All right. And uh, what... When should I plan on doing that? When will I have those in the dirt? It's all going to be weather dependent. So as soon as they can, as soon as the sod farms can actually cut it, that's when they're going to be available. Okay. Thank you very much. Certainly. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a tough one. People always think zoysia will go on and on and on forever. You've done everything just right, fertilizing, dethatching, and everything else. Core aeration is very important, too. So core aeration would be something on zoysia that you'd be doing this time of year. So core aeration is with a machine that takes plugs out of the ground that look like wine bottle corks and then backfilling, you know, those or spreading over the top after you've done the core aeration with compost. And the compost falls down in the hole and then that feeds actually your soil because the soil is very, very important. Soil is what makes healthy plants. Fertilizer is kind of a cosmetic thing. Healthy soil with the right microbes and everything else is what makes it so plants can survive. It's not necessarily going to make something that's going to go on and on and on forever by any means, but just understand that that's, you know, what the situation is. And lately uh, we've had you know, lots of lightning, at least in our area. So what causes lightning? Water droplets collide in the atmosphere, and the electrons are knocked free. This is, creates an electrical field above the earth and a strong positive force to the ground. And that's kind of what causes this whole deal with the lightning strikes. So, I mean, we had a lightning strike over our house. I think it was on Wednesday um, yeah, maybe it was Thursday, but it was so loud and so bright. It was like, holy moly, it was unbelievable. And here's a quote from Mark Twain. Thunder is good. Thunder is impressive, but lightning 
is what does the work. So in other words, when lightning strikes, it also causes nitrogen to come out of the air back down onto the ground. And so it feeds every, you know, all the plant material, you know, lightning, that's what it does. And then the nitrogen, as it comes down, will then not, I guess it would be evaporate, evaporate and go back up into the air. So as much as lightning is really kind of scary in a way, still it's really essential as far as putting a little bit of nitrogen onto the ground. So people have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after the news. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, it's the tip of the trowel hour, and I'll be giving the tip of the trowel shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with ideas, questions, comments, or concerns. And, Mr. Kelly, you work out a lot, don't you? Uh, I try to, yeah, but I try to get out three times a week. So do you have equipment at home or you go to gyms? Both. I go to the Y and I have a trainer there, although I canceled last week and I'll be canceling TFN. Of course, they're closed now, so that kind of settles that. Right. But I do. I have some equipment out in my barn and Whoa. I'll go out there when it's not too cold or too hot <laughs> and uh, do some lifting out there. So I'll be out there later today, So hopefully. Your own equipment, do you, are you going to wipe it off and everything? Uh, I usually don't because I'm the only one who touches it. Oh. I'm the only one out there. When I come in, though, I definitely wash, wash, clean up pretty well before I uh, <laughs> approach my wife. Just <laughs> <laughs> I clean up pretty well now and then. You do look pretty clean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fooled you. We're great. Just uh, curious. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I get out and do a little lifting, and it's great. You know, you're outside and got uh, the peacock kind of picks his head around. What are you gonna feed me? <laughs> you know. And uh, the horse will come up once in a while. It's very nice. And, you know, congratulations, or I want to thank you for wiping off your microphone there. I did. I got the Clorox right here. Yeah. Speaking of congratulations, can I congratulate my nephew and his wife? They had a baby last night. Wow. Yeah, second Perfect. one. So congratulations to John and Stacy. Does the baby have a name yet? Jaden. 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 Whoa. Yeah, going to have to get a Jaden Schwartz jersey now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, great. Well, thanks. Sure. <laughs> yes, folks, by the way, and thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selections, the ups and downs and all arounds of annuals, your bulbs, your edibles. Yes, the cool season things. Your ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, or water gardens and vines as well. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered to you to consider. Across the big board is Alex. He's producing today. So if you do call in, he just needs your name and your first name and where you're calling from. During the week, I spend time uh, doing landscape consulting. And on the weekends, you know, this time of year I do. Today, after the show, I'm headed up off Riverview Boulevard or Riverview and uh, then to Lafayette Square. So that's uh, what I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage is where my phone number and email address is. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for the individuals, groups, or situation that's made an impression on me, and they're brought to you by St. It is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Again, two weeks in a row. Tip of the trial goes out to all of us. We are all so burdened with you know, this this anxiety and everything else involved with this pandemic or whatever you want to call it is just absolutely incredible. 
I mean, it's just, it's exhausting. But thank goodness, as I said before, and the lady called about, uh, you know, planting seeds and pots and the outdoors is uh, such a great relief for me. And also, when I'm inside, I can sit and just look out the window and look at Christie Park and watch the squirrels bounce all over the place, watch the birds coming in to, buy the, to eat the thistle seed. And it is just, it's almost like gives me some, I don't want to say I don't have any hope, but it's just, the whole thing is just so tragic. And it's, uh, it's almost sort of scary, scary tragic from the standpoint of who knows what's going on. And it's just it's just too nuts. So anyway, tip of the trial goes out to all of us as we're all dealing with this very crazy world that we're having right now. LaVon, and she is calling. Hi, LaVon. Hi. I had the tree man come out and look at that oak tree, and he said he would trim it. And that hole that's higher up, he said he would put some foam down in it so the water didn't come out the bottom and then cover it with a piece of tin. Does that sound like a good idea? Well, I don't know how much it's going to really help, but uh, if the foam is an antibacterial type thing, that would certainly help uh, putting a piece of tin over the hole. Water's still going to run underneath the tin because the bark has texture. But uh, if, if, you know, that's fine. I just don't know how much, you know, hopefully the bacteria aspect is going to be taken from so you don't have that heartwood rot that you called in about last week. And then, uh, you know, just kind of keep your fingers crossed. Yeah, and then he said, I've got 14 pine trees. And he said, did you know they're 65 feet tall? You need to have eight feet trimmed off of the top because they're close to the house. And I'm asking, is this a good idea? I would not prune them. I would not just take the top of them off. How is that going to help, you know, their proximity to your house? They're close to the house. Yeah, but cutting the height, cutting the back of the branches away from the house, that might help. But just to cut off eight feet from the top, I don't understand what that's going to do. Well, for it don't fall on the house, I suppose. <laughs> uh, well, if I mean, it's up to you. To me, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you so much. Certainly. Bye-bye. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm not there. I don't see the trees. Maybe it should be. they should be top. But if you have pine trees that are 65 feet high, that is, you have state champions to, you know, if your trees are that big. That is just absolutely huge. And now let's go to Keith's yard. Hi, Keith. Hi. I'm calling from St. Charles, and I'm calling about my yard. Uh, last year I got flooded. And uh, what did come back was pretty much just weeds. And now I've got, and I've got two big dogs and moles. So I need to know where to start and what to do. Basically start with just realizing you're never going to have a great lawn. If you've got two big dogs, just the soil compaction and everything else is just, it's really problematic. Also, the dog urine, it's not the pH you know, of the urine. It's actually urine, dog urine, has a high nitrogen content. So what happens is the high nitrogen in the urine is actually burning your you know, lawn up where they go to the bathroom. So and, and basically, what I don't know how you got flooded, but uh, 
you know, it's just it's going to be a disaster. I would consider maybe staying away from a traditional type lawn and consider going with something like Dutch white clover or something along that line as opposed to a traditional grass. The clover can still be impacted by the dogs, but not nearly as much as regular lawn will be. I see. What about moles? Uh, Moles, traps. I'm surprised your dogs don't get them. Uh, I haven't seen them yet this year, but they were sure an issue uh, in years past. Yeah, basically, you watch for the tunnels when they start popping up. Then you know, start setting traps along that you know on that along that stretch of tunnel that's popped Uh up. And then if you don't get any, if you don't get them within a couple days, and move them to a different spot. I see. Okay. And would you recommend sod? Uh, it's not going to make it. Yeah, initially it's going to look great for a year or two, but it's, you're going to be right back to where you are. Right. Okay. And would I start uh, the weed and feed first, or would I start with just the grass seed first? And do I need to aerate? Uh, yeah, you should You should aerate, spread some compost. And I, what I'd probably do, I'd core aerate, I'd put the seed down, and then spread the compost on top of it, and just keep your fingers crossed. Gotcha. Okay, well, I appreciate your help. Thank you much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're headed out to O'Fallon and going to Dee Dee's yard. Hi, Dee Dee. Hi, Mike. Um, my husband is going to be putting down our pre-emergent today. Okay. Um, however, my question is, my grass is pretty darn long in, in many areas. Um, should I cut the grass, bag it before he puts it down? That would make sense. If you can get out there and get it cut, yes. Okay. Okay. And should it be cut shorter this first time? Yeah, first time. Do you have bluegrass or zoysia? Uh, fescue. Fescue, okay. That's, uh, yeah, you want to cut it down to about uh, any place between like, you know, two inches to two and a half inches. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Certainly. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Now let's head to South City and see what's going on with Peggy. Hi, Peggy. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. Um, I have a forsythia bush that is 30 plus years old, and uh, it's been looking pretty ragged for the last, I guess, few years, right. and then this year, finally, barely any blooms at all. And I'm just wondering, is it has it seen its best days? Do I need to take it out? <laughs> yes, it's seen its best days. That's pretty old, so, I mean, yeah. it, it, just the capability of plant material, especially ornamental-type things. I mean, you can see trees that will, like, could last for 100 years, but uh, ornamental shrubs, that's generally not going to be the case. So I, I'm thinking it's past its prime. It's not going to recover. You could try, if you want to, cutting it basically all the way down to the ground and see what happens, but don't do it this time of year. Let uh, The amount of foliage that's going to come out to try to build up the root system in the next year, you're going to eliminate any kind of potential for flowering, but just to see if there'd be new stems coming up out of the ground. But personally, if I was you, I would have it just, you know, take it out or have it taken out. And if you like the forsythia, just get a new one. Same spot? Uh, a, a new one in the same spot? Or would I need to... Move um, it a little bit. Don't put it exactly in the, on top of where the existing one is. So six feet? Four yeah, feet? a couple feet. A couple feet. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Mike. Yeah, because shrubs, I mean, forsythia doesn't have a really aggressive, massive root system like trees, and that's why a couple feet should be adequate. 
And now let's go to Janine. Hi, Janine. Hi, how are you? Good. It's good to hear you. <laughs> um, I have a question about our yard. We have a problem kind of in the backyard. So I was going to try and experiment to see if I couldn't get some uh, grass seed to grow because we've always had trouble with the grass growing and stuff like that. So we had the yard aerated, but I was wondering, is it going to be just a waste of time to put grass seed down, or do you think it, it might be okay to do it this time of year instead of in the fall? Uh, this is not the ideal time, but yeah, you can do spring you know, seeding. It might be a little bit early. I'd probably wait until mid-April or so okay. to make sure the ground temperature is warm enough, even though I've been telling people seeds are germinating, blah, 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 blah. But uh, now, do you have a bunch of trees or something in your yard? We do, yeah. You're That's never going to have successful lawn. Okay. That's what I was afraid you were going to yeah. say. <laughs> so, There's too much competition. I you have. can just go into the woods and you don't ever see any kind of even, let's say, native-type grasses or stuff growing underneath that. Right. right. So That's it's just not going to happen. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Certainly. Yeah, right, I hate to you. be the purveyor of doom. But uh, basically, if you want to try to have you know somewhat of a lawn, they, they have these shady spot mixes. I don't think that makes all that much difference. But just every, every mid-April to late April and every September, put grass seed down with seed starter-type fertilizer and just uh, plan on doing it every year. That's probably the most successful lawn that you're going to have. And now let's go to Scott's yard. Hi, Scott. Yes, I have a quick question. Um, I have a tree that's in my backyard that's, Probably about eight foot up, ten foot up. Uh, two, three years ago, I had a branch break off about six inches, six inches in diameter, and now the, uh, it's kind of rotted. And the squirrels have a nest in that hole. Whoa! Um, is, what can I cover that, or what can I put something in that um, to keep the squirrels out of that hole? Because that'll probably just continue to rot down in there, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, water can run down the trunk and just rot in and go into the hole too. So that's probably probably problem but i keep the squirrels out for sure just get some chicken wire and just roll it up into a big ball and just cram it in there okay and so physically to keep the squirrels out as far as anything else as far as you know water running down the trunk and going into the hole there's really not too much you can do about that okay because i know i've seen people put like you know cement and you know some kind of stuff like that in the hole before. And yeah, it doesn't really do anything because okay. it does initially, but the cement, the tree is going to grow the diameter of the trunk, and then consequently this barrier is not, is going to have a gap around it, and you're just creating a more human environment in that situation. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you. Certainly. And now let's go to, oh, back to LaVon. Hi, LaVon. Hi. I had two questions I forgot. I'm sorry, but... With the pine trees, uh, we got open ground in the uh, south, and I've had two tops spin out of the pine trees with storms is why I was thinking about trimming them. Where In 40 years, I've had two tops. Just the wind gets it a certain way and spins the top right out of it. Mm -hmm. Well, if you want to have them cut off, I mean, you can, but... uh... You know, to me, it's it's really up to you. I don't know, cost-wise and everything else. Out of 40 years, if you had two, you know, two six, you know, two large trees have some some branch damage or top damage, that's I mean, that's just kind of nature. If they don't fall in your house or anything else, but go ahead. It, it seems like you're very concerned about it. Just go ahead and have them topped. Well, the 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 one hit the gutter, but it missed the house. And the other one was down by the pond, and the, 
just spinned the whole top right out and fell on a hard rock maple. <laughs> and I was so surprised. But, we see, we've got open ground in the south is why we get all the wind from the southwest. Right. So. All right. And you had another question, too? No, that's it. Thank okay. you. Certainly. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you obviously have some huge maple or <laughs> huge pine trees. And now let's, where do we want to go? Hmm. Oh, let's go to Jay's yard. Hi, Jay. Somebody disagrees. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> it, the phone cut out just as you were picking it up. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, you answered one of my questions, grass seed mid-April, because uh, I was going to oversee, and I do have dogs, and my wife is frustrated that dogs keep you from being able to have a good yard. That's right. <laughs> Um, but I also have a, three maples in my backyard, and last year one of them stopped growing. You know, the part of it turned uh, fall colors early in the summer, and then the next year two-thirds of it went bad, and now there's the bark is missing around the base. It's obviously dead, and the branches have big, long cracks in them. Ooh. Is there some kind of an illness going around that's affecting maple trees? Not that I'm aware of. I have three sugar maples. You know, I have the neighborhood. I go to people's homes with maples. I don't. It's nothing that I'm fully aware of. You know, this particular tree just got this, as opposed to the other two didn't get it. So no, there's not some major disease that I'm aware of. Okay, I'm looking at it now, and the bark is missing just about all the way around the base. Yeah, it's dead for sure. After, pretty sure that came after rather than before. But I do notice the other one's got like a crack in the bark. So a crack in the bark is not unusual. No, that's just the expansion of the, di- you know, as a trunk diameter increases, there can be cracks in the bark. Okay. Um, like a mold growing on the side of it, that's not an issue either? No, that is not. That's Those are lichens. That's just probably on the north side of the house, you know, or it's being shaded by other ones. But there's all kinds of lichens and different things that grow on the bark that's, that are not problematic. Okay. I had a yard guy about six, seven years ago say, if you don't spray, get this off of your dogwood, it's going to kill it. It only costs 125 to save your tree. And I thought he was full of it, but <laughs> I didn't pay him. <laughs> yeah, no, those kind of things are just, I mean, just go into the woods or into a park where there's all kinds of trees. You'll see all kinds of different stuff growing on the bark, and the trees are there and they're alive. And, you know, go to the botanical garden, the same kind of thing. Thank you very much. Yeah, except you can't go to the Botanical Garden right now. They're closed until April 3rd. <laughs> so, yeah, Shaw Nature Reserve, the Butterfly House and Faust Park, and the Botanical Garden are all closed until April 3rd. And now let's go to Tom's yard. Tom lives in Brighton, Illinois. Hi, Tom. Hi. I've got a koi pond, about 1,000 gallons, and i got a lot of green water. I want to know what I can do to get, keep the water clear. Um, basically have some kind of pump. That's the best thing you can do as far as with the algae. Right. I've got the pumps. I just, well, right now I've got it in winter mode. It's just aeration, but I've learned about that. The UV filtration or something like that, or, um, hmm. I, you know, I'm not sure how effective that's going to be. It's just, this is just, you know, kind of, I don't want to say it's a natural occurrence, but you're in your, it sounds like your situation, you're never really going to have it where you're going to have, you know, perfectly clear, you know, water. It's just not going to happen. Okay. I just cared if there's something I could do or, you know, a chemical that would kill the algae, but not the fish. Yeah, that's what my concern would be. But what you can do is go to St. Louis Water Garden Society 
and just put a, you know, go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and put in, you know, plant societies and contact the Water Garden Society and see if they have something that might help you. Okay, thanks very much. Have a good day. Yes. So mobot.org, and that's their website, and then put plant societies and just look for St. Louis Water Garden Societies. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, let's head over to Doug's yard. Doug, how are you today? Very good, Mike. How are you this morning? Very good. My question for you is, I've got a huge pin oak in my front yard. I'm going to guesstimate it at being probably a 50-year-old pin oak. Mm-hmm. And what I've run into, and this started last summer, and I when I would when I come home every day, I get a two handful, three handfuls of branches, and they're freshly cut off. So something up in that tree is chewing these things off, and it's usually the ends, like they're roughly 12, 14 inch long right. uh, growth. And now during the wintertime, when it was cold, never saw one. Now that it's starting to warm again, now every day I come home, I'm finding the same situation again. Basically, you got squirrels. That's what some people have told me. So those squirrels that I see, those half a dozen squirrels are up there chewing those off. Right. They have to chew or else their lower teeth will grow into the roof of their mouth. So why they chew in certain seasons as opposed to others. Also, they're making new nests or they're doing all kinds of other things, too, in the springtime or in the warmer weather. Okay. That's. Uh, that doesn't bother me so much. I was worried that I had some sort of an insect situation that was <laughs> that was taking place and was really going to harm the tree. So, yeah, uh, if it's squirrels, if, yeah, I'm pretty sure squirrels, especially if it's they're cut at a 45 degree angle. If it's an insect, there is twig girdlers, but they're going to cut it where they just cut the bark all the way off, and then it looks, you know, basically when they fall, it'll just be flat on the end. Okay. Okay. I'll look at them very close and I hope it is the squirrels because I can eliminate them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or remove them. How's that sound? <laughs> Have a heart. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Very good. Thank you, Mike. Certainly my pleasure. And now let's go into Anita's yard. Hi, Anita. Mike? Yes. Oh, hi. Uh, I Did you tell some lady that you could put down the winterizer? In place of the uh, spring uh, weed and feed? Uh, winterizer is just strictly fertilizer. Weed and feed is completely different. So, no, I didn't say that. Oh, okay. Well, the weed and feed, is is that uh, to kill weeds? The weed and feed fertilizes and kills weeds both. It does two things. Winterizer fertilizer only fertilizes. It doesn't kill any weeds. Okay, well, if I want to kill weeds, uh, what do I buy? Well, you can just buy a weed, and you can just buy like a weed be gone type thing, which is if you don't want to fertilize, then you can just kill the weeds if they're broadleaf weeds. If they're grassy weeds, that's a different, you know, different story, different scenario. I'm talking about, you know, the big, the, the weeds you get in the springtime. I always thought I had uh, put down weed and feed. And, um, Probably, it sounds like in springtime, if these are new little bitty plants, then you should put a pre-emergent down, and uh, that's what you need to do. And the okay. pre-emergent, you probably need to do it twice a year, once mid to late August, 
and another time this time of year when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. Okay, and what what would be the numbers on the bag? This is just a pre-emergent. This doesn't have any fertilizer, no numbers on the bag at all. Just go to your favorite garden center and tell them okay. you want a pre-emergent. Okay, and what about the, uh, the hand? You also said that you can put it down with the hand spreaders. Right. My big spreaders doesn't work very well, but how are the hand spreaders? Is that safe as far as not getting too much on one spot? Uh, yeah, just you. Know, I mean, you have to sort of set the tempo yourself and keep grinding it. You know, turning the the handle at the same pace and everything else. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you, Mike. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's go to Angie's yard. Hi, Angie. Good morning, Mike. How Hi. are you doing? Very good. I was I was calling today to see uh, really get your uh, ideas and your opinions. I'm getting anxious to get outside, and I was wondering about your favorite container gardening ideas and combinations. I I have both sun, you know, fairly bright sun, and then I have some that are deep shade. So I'm looking for ideas that have both shade, for both shade and sun, and Uh, fairly easy, you know, are fairly nice looking throughout the summer. Basically, what I would do is take a look at... Rather than using, let's say, the classic type annuals, if you want to use some of the annuals, look at the angel wing and devil wing begonias. They're tough, they're durable, they're big, they're bright, they're, I mean, they're spectacular. And maybe underneath those, get a type of wandering Jew and just let that cascade over the pot. That's what I would do. Okay. And then if you wanted something for the brighter sun of your areas, look at the croton, C-R-O-T-O-N. That's the plant, tropical looking. Again, it's a house plant, but the leaves, all kinds of different things. There can be green leaves with yellows, like looks like somebody splashed paint on them. There can be all kinds of different colors. And again, then have something cascade like the Wandering Jew cascading underneath them over the edge of the pot. Okay. So, so uh, and the angel wing and the devil wing, those are good for pretty deep shade. Yeah, they can. Yeah, they're pretty tough and durable. Yes. And if you wanted okay. to have just something in a pot that would just cascade over, again, just look at house plants versus annuals and maybe like a philodendron, philodendron or something along that line and then put a palm tree or a dracaena and then probably do something along that line. Okay. That sounds good. All right. I'll look them up. Thank you. Certainly. Okay. And now let's go to O'Fallon into George's yard. Hi, George. Morning, Mike. Hey, I bought the fungicide for hawthorn and a crab apple that has the brown spot. What is the time frame? Do I spray before the leaves emerge, when they start emerging, or after they fully emerge? Not when they're fully emerged. Do it basically the first shot should be as the buds are just opening, and then every couple of weeks for probably uh, maybe three applications. Okay, so right after, right when they start to emerge from the buds, then you start spraying the leaves. Right. The initial one is that time, then wait two weeks, then spray again, and then wait for two weeks. And probably by the end of a month, the leaves should be pretty much full, you know, fully exposed or full, full size. Okay. Very good. That's what I needed. Thanks. All right. Mike Miller, KMWAX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we're headed to Chesterfield, and we're going to see what's going on with Maggie's yard. Hi, Maggie. Hi. Hi, Mike. I have an ivy bed with some periwinkle that's on a hillside in my backyard, and uh, there are some pine trees in the middle of that. 
So leaves and pine needles have collected over time. I'm assuming that will serve as mulch. But my question is, do I ever need to fertilize this area or rake out the old dead stuff? Uh, Probably, you know, raking out the dead stuff, you mean like the leaves that have fallen and the needles? Well, just yeah, just kind of removing some of the old, uh, the dead ivy that's underneath the new ivy. Yeah, get rid of that stuff. I mean, just individually cut it. But what you can do is, I don't know how steep this, you know, slope is or anything else or how big it is, but you can set your mower high and just go over the top of all this stuff. Okay, okay, and that'll take care of the old stuff too, I assume? Well, no, the old stuff is probably laying flat on the ground, so the mowing is not going to do anything for that. Okay, so So, just cut out the old stuff more or less. Yeah, the old stuff just, it's like plants, I keep talking about plants that are just old age. That, right. I mean, I've been in the yards where they've, you know, have an ivy bed that's been in X amount of years, and mm-hmm. they have long, let's say, six foot areas with no leaves on it at all, and only you know one foot at the end of the, let's say. Mm-hmm. Okay, should I fertilize that at any time? It wouldn't hurt. I mean, you okay. could do it certainly in the springtime and use a fertilizer for acid-loving plants. Okay, thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks yeah. for your show. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, with the ivy and you get the whole vine that has six feet of dead and then one foot of, uh, you know, some good-looking, that's uh, old vines. And now let's go to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, Last fall, late last fall, I have um, five crepe myrtle bushes, and I I, uh, put... uh, (laughs) about half of the bush over with leaves. And now uh, that it's spring, uh, there's still like about 12, 14 inches of leaves in the bushes. Should I get those leaves out of there? Yeah, you should. It probably won't be that much trouble. But what it could do, depending upon what our weather's going to do or anything else, it could create a very humid environment, and that could be damaging to actually the bark on the crepe myrtle. Okay, and also uh, we have um, we have uh, blackberry and raspberry bushes. Um, should those be trimmed down? And if so, how far? Uh, any of the older ones, cut those. The ones where the, that have, let's say, the biggest stem size, cut those down all the way. Let's say down to two or three inches. The other one, cut them about halfway. Halfway. Right. Okay. All right, thanks so much, Mark. Yeah, and get that done soon because if they've already started to leaf out, then you're going to have to just wait and probably do it next year, except for the older ones. The older ones will not produce any berries anyway, so just get rid of those. And and the, the old ones, two to three inches. Yeah, just you're basically cutting them down to nothing. So Okay. All right, thanks so much. Yep. And now Rita lives in Creve Corps. Hi, Rita. Hi, Mike. Um you spoke earlier, you made a reference to when somebody was struggling with their with their uh, turf grass uh, to Dutch white clover. I don't know if there's different kinds of clover, but I have been pondering clover a bit, and I do like a good coincidence. So if you can expound a little bit on clover. I used to fight it. Now I'm considering embrace it because of the, and we'll give you the backstory, but the mess in my yard. In the back, so it's not like where the neighbors have to worry about, oh, my God, there's clover. Um Seed, um, light, um, tough. I mean, just talk about it, please. <laughs> this, well, Dutch white clover is a clover that's considered a weed in many yards. If you don't, if you're trying to grow a traditional grass, it has the white flower, 
and it looks like clover. It's very attractive to bees, uh, bees and other you know pollinating, wanting type of type of insects. So uh, you sounds get good it, to me. <laughs> <laughs> so you get it, uh, you know, as seed, and you want to make sure when you get the seed, it has an an inoculant on it. So in other words, it's in the pea family. But it, this inoculant actually helps the seed to actually germinate and get going. Uh-huh. And so you can go to—you probably have—not every garden center is going to have them, but many of them have it. You buy them in kind of like one-pound bags and just make sure it has an inoculant. Rake the area first, then put the seed down and just kind of see what happens. And that's that's not, that all sounds good to me. And part of this, I was in a play. I don't know. I'm mentioning names on the air, but um, where I overheard somebody was buying clover, and I thought, oh, <laughs> and I didn't pursue it at that moment. So I, I probably would have access to clover seed. But is this time of year? Well, you know, and I'm going to give it a shot anyway in a, in a section that's practically bare. What the hey, you know? Right. Um, does it? Well, so it, is that then? The terminology, what I used to fight with, the, you know, we'd be on clover stuff when, you, like, like I said, I used to fight it. And now I uh, I think maybe it might be the, the savior for patches that have to stay turfish right. <laughs> without being turf grass. Basically, I put in I native mean, plants. They, I'm trying to avoid turf grass. Yeah, it does want to have, you know, as much sun as possible. It doesn't okay. do well in the, you know, in a darker, deeper shade where you can't basically grow anything except clover. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I, I've got... But I've got, you know, more sun and less sun and that sort of thing. Okay. Well, it sounds like it's worth a shot. Yeah. Um, I mean, you never, right. it never, it really never needs to be mowed. It only gets about uh, four inches high. I mean, yeah, I assume, yeah. So it it sounds like that's what was just coming in on its own anyway. Right. Over the years. Right. So does that sound valid? Yeah. Okay. So now I can embrace it instead of fight it, and I'm all fine with the bees. You know, my husband doesn't like it. That's too dang bad. <laughs> you know, that's why I used to fight it. But, you know, front yards for the neighbors, backyards for me. Right, exactly. So there you go. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. And the nice thing about, you know, the Dutch white clover, too, is uh, it captures nitrogen out of the air, stores it in the root system, so it actually improves the soil just in general. So there is Dutch white clover is a low white one, and there's owl clover, which is the purple one, and it gets about six or eight inches so that you don't want the, the owl clover that, because it gets too big and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, now let's go over to Ron, and he's in South City. Hi, Ron. Yes, hello. I've got two huge holly trees in my backyard. They must be, uh, well, 12, 14 foot tall, 10 foot wide at the base. How much can they be trimmed? Uh, probably if you take, you know, if you're trying to keep the conical shape and everything, yes. are you talking about just bringing it down or are you trying to prune the whole thing all the way around? Uh, the whole thing to keep them small, smaller. Uh, yeah. Probably if you take, uh, probably if you take up more than six or eight inches off the branches, then you could be trouble. And also, you know, I'm giving you a measurement just kind of give you some sort of idea. But definitely don't cut any branch back to the point where there's no foliage anymore. It has no foliage on the inside of the holly because there's no light getting in there. And you cut, you know, cut it off so, you know, basically there's a twig or a branch or whatever that doesn't have any leaves on it. The buds that are there may not be active anymore, and you might just end up with looking dead-looking sticks coming out of it. Gotcha. Okay, good good advice. I appreciate that information, Mike. Great. Good luck. Thank you. And now let's head to Randy's. Hi, Randy. 
Good morning, Michael. Tell you what, I bought two rose bushes at a uh, local big box store last week. And right now, they have both started to bloom. I've got two and three-inch sprouts coming out of them. Is it too early to plant them? Well, you, I mean, uh, are they are they in pots? Uh, no, they're still in the... Uh, so the they're bare root. Wrapping. Yeah, you got to get them in the ground. Okay. So there's, Excellent. I mean... Yeah, bare root doesn't. I mean, the other, the only other option is to get you know a couple pots and then plant them in pots, and then wait until you know wait for another month or two and then plant them in the ground. But if they're bare roots, you got to get them in the ground. Very good. I'll do that this afternoon. All right. Thank you, sir. Sure. And Diane, can you do it relatively quickly? Hi, Diane. Yeah, Mike. uh, When's the best time to move daffodil bulbs? Uh, Basically, after they finish flowering. Okay. So wait till you know till the flower's finished, and wait till the foliage is about half brown. Then you can dig them up and move them to a new location. Uh, do it in the fall. Plant them again, or do it now. Uh, I'd just go ahead and move them, you know, and plant them in a new location now. Just make sure it's well drained. And uh, if you wanted to, you can dig them up, shake all the soil off of them, cut the foliage off, and then go ahead and just you know store them until next fall. But I think just digging them up and moving them into a new spot is going to be fine. Thank you for what you do. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> and, yeah, the daffodils, I mean, there's a couple different ways to go about it, but uh, once they're, they're headed towards dormancy anyway, I mean, you might as well just go ahead and move them. Again, they've got to be in a good location. More sun, the better. And also, it's got to be well-drained. So, And also, the, the bulbs, when you're planting them, any place between four and six inches deep in the soil. Other th- and a couple other things. Uh, several people in the metropolitan area obviously have problems with deer. And some of the here's a, some plant materials. This is woody plant material that are least appealing to the deer: ginkgos, ginkgo trees, oak leaf hydrangea, gold thread branch cypress, hawthorns, American holly, junipers, paper bark birches. Rosa Sharon, Blue Spruce, Hypericum, Witch Hazel, and Vitex. Those are you know, some of the woody plant material that deer stay away from. But when the weather is horrible, they're going to go after everything. So just understand that that's what the case. And, f- folks, I mean, I appreciate everybody who called in today. It was, it was fantastic for everybody because I know we're all in such weird, stressful circumstances with this whole crazy world that we're in right now. So just enjoy the outdoors. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.